0: Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. We have some time left. If you just open up your Bibles, we're going to look at Rome, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And, you know, a lot of times people ask me, you know, through all my experiences and, and you know, just. Living honestly with the reality of, though I'm a Christian, I'm still a sinner. Though I'm a Christian, I still live with the reality of my flesh. You know, when we become a Christian, we don't get a frontal lobotomy. We still have a mind. We still are tempted. So how do we live in, in, in light of our temptations? Well, this wonderful passage, I think, has been a good framework to help me in my walk uh, towards sanctification in this journey that we have. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. So just some context here this book was written um to uh the early church we don't know the, who the author is um uh, some early church fathers thought it was Paul but we believe pretty much that it's that it's not Paul the way it's written uh, uh just uh, Paul writes in very logical his greek is, is 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 he's 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 smart uh but Hebrews whoever wrote this um is a few notches above that uh it's it's very um technical, the English, uh, the English, the Greek. Uh, there's many words that are only found once in the New Testament, found in Hebrews. I mean, actually, those of us who, who, who learn Greek know that Hebrews is probably one of the last books you want to translate or look at, because it's, it's, a, it's not easy to, uh, to translate. Um, so we don't know the author. Uh, most likely, uh, I mean, it was definitely someone who uh, the early church knew, especially if we look at the very end, uh, there's all these greetings, you know, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. So obviously, whoever received this letter knew it, and so therefore the early church, they, they knew that this was written by someone who had, who had, had apostolic authority, and so therefore they knew that was, it was inspired. Unfortunately, we, we don't know today exactly who it is, but actually it's not uncommon for many of these New Testament books to be written anonymously. If you look at most of the books, of the New Testament, they were, are written anonymously. Uh, tradition then, we, you know, we've 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 recognized who it is written by. But anyway, uh, Hebrews. This book was written during a time of, of fierce persecution. To be Christian meant that if you were publicly known, you would be killed. You would be crucified. You would be put in jail. So a lot of these new converts were falling away. They were either going back to kind of the old legalistic, you know, Jewish traditions, or they were falling into kind of spiritual lethargy and and sort of just very shallow Christianity. And they thought, you know, I could just do whatever I want. You know, I'm saved by grace, so I could do whatever I want. And I think, man, that sounds a lot like us today. You know, we have people that are either just rules oriented or they're just, oh, just grace, grace, grace. I could do whatever I want. And so I think this book is very applicable to us today. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 1, we find that uh, this it begins, therefore. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, had a teacher that talks to you about keywords, words uh, and, and particularly conjunctions, uh, words that tie uh, sentences or passages together, well, therefore is one of those. I don't know if you ever heard this, but, you know, I, I knew kind of in kind of a basic Bible study class, uh, whenever you see the word therefore, you ask what it's, anyone know that? Therefore, okay, you guys heard that before. Whenever you see the word therefore, you ask what it's there for. I mean, it's, it's kind of catchy, but therefore is kind of a connecting word and connects what's, what just, what we just read to what we're about to read so in other words, it's kind of like a wrap up. It's like a conclusion to saying what we just read. That's kind of like when I'm now I'm transitioning to this is in conclusion of what we just read. So what therefore that means we need to then look back, Hebrews chapter twelve. well, if we look back, we look at Hebrews chapter eleven, and we know Hebrews chapter eleven is what we often call the hall of faith, not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And we get you know people like uh Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac Jacob Moses etc all these great women and men of God so therefore then it says all these you know wonderful uh model people that we look up to it says therefore since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and that that's pertaining back to these saints that have gone before us now that word uh, uh witness Uh, can also mean, uh, in the, you know, it it has also been used, uh, to refer to like a spectator. So I think in a sense, uh, the writer here is, is building this metaphor of kind of a, uh, like a, a sports metaphor, uh, an, an athletic metaphor, and of course, Back in the Greco-Roman world, that was a big thing. You know, they didn't have football, they didn't have whatever. They had huge stadiums, as we see, uh, still some around, that people would come and they would watch all these games. And these games would sometimes would be gruesome, kind of, but uh, they would also have some games that were wrestling, or that's where we kind of modeled the Olympics after, track and field. So they would go and watch these games, and the people that would watch them, you know, sometimes we would call them witnesses. That that same word, spectator. But as we look here, it it has that it, it's pulling, you know, uh, and, and building that metaphor of this kind of spectator, this stadium field, this athletics uh, uh, idea. But it also means more than that. And, and if you also think, uh, you know, as a spectator, as uh, you know, this the, the people around, you know, they're. Uh, in, in a stadium they 're all cheering for their favorite athlete uh, if you 're a football fan or uh, you know a sports fan, uh, when you play uh, on home, you get the home court advantage and What happens usually in those situations? The home team plays better because people are cheering you on, and that 's what we have. We have this great cloud of witnesses around us, and they 're basically cheering us on and Honestly, we always have the home court advantage. We always have the home court advantage, and people—they're cheering us on around and, and are cheering you forward. But that word is more than just meaning a spectator, because oftentimes people in the stands—they might know the sport a little bit, but they probably don't really know the sport. You know, they—they they probably need to get off their rear a bit and do a little bit of exercise themselves. But what we find here is, is this is more than just spectators. These are actually people who have run the race, finished well, and they're now cheering for you. Um, I, you know, in Chicago, we have uh, the Chicago Marathon. Of course, it's not as big as the Boston Marathon. Uh, but every year, they would come in around October, and they would run one side of Moody and go up the other side on the streets. And uh, it's pretty exciting to watch. I never did it. I'm not a runner. I, I'm, I'm Asian, so I don't run. Um <laughs> ping pong, badminton, you know, chess, those type of things. I can do that. Gymnastics. I was a gymnast. Uh, we got short legs. I, You know, we're not, you you never find, you know, an Asian person, you know, winning a marathon. It just doesn't happen. Um, but chess, you know, badminton, we can. So anyway, I'm not a runner, but I'll, I'll, I'll cheer my friends that, that will run. And um, it's pretty exciting. I, I don't know if you've ever gone to the Boston Marathon or whatever. I mean, it's, 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 it's There's like electricity in the air. It's, it's very, uh, it's just neat to go. You gotta do it one time. Uh, but when you go to the finish line, it's something totally different. I mean, it's like, it's the energy is like times a hundred. And people are like, it's it's actually very emotional too. People seeing finish. I mean, can you imagine running 26.2 miles? I mean, that's insane. Uh, and and then they finish. And a lot of times, it, they sometimes do it together, like maybe husband and wife or father daughter. It's it's really neat to see that. And they're like, you know, they're crying together and they're finished. Where, you know, and I, I'd be crying because the pain, you know, is going to end hopefully. Um, so they they get finished. But you know what's cool for me when I when I went that you know once or twice to watch is at the finish line these these uh runners finish they get their whatever the thing to keep them warm and the metal then a lot of them they turn around and they begin cheering strangers on and there's something different i hear from these runners when you know they're just other just kind of just you know spectators cheering and then they see like another fellow runner cheering them on that, that gives them like an, an extra little boost it's like wait he knows, like like that, you know, kind of chubby person has no idea, you know, that person, you know, that has no idea what it's like to run 26, you know, this, you know all these spectators, but then that person who's just got that medal finished knows exactly what I'm going through, and you know what, that's what we have around us. The great cloud of windows, they're just not people like, oh yeah, go, 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 like I have no idea what you're going through, but just go. No, these are people that have been in your shoes, they've actually run the race, they've been persecuted, and they finished well. And that's what we have, so don't forget that. So what does that mean? Practically, it means that we have to be in community. I mean, there's, I, I hope if you sat in any of my talks, um, I hope that one of the things that you walked away is the importance of a local church. I think oftentimes we want to be these solo Christians and do these things on our own and just kind of work on our sanctification, discipleship, and 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 like we kind of separate ourselves from the church. But we have to be in community. God gave us the church. Not church is in a building. Church is people, and it's not just we're we're actually not just to view each other as like just you know friends. We're actually we're called in the New Testament. We're called to call each other brothers and sisters. Do we live like that? We have to, but it's not just community, because if we're just community, then we're just no different than a social club, than like a Lions club or whatever. We have to be open as well, open and transparent. Hold each other, how can I hold you accountable and know what you're struggling with if you don't open up? Or if I don't open up? And honestly, we can't expect someone else to open up if we don't open up first. Sometimes we have to kind of foster that, 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 that kind of um, the, the 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 theme of transparency and and to for other people then to open up as well. Um, so we have therefore since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses. Verse one goes on. Let us also lay aside every weight. Um, I think some try to say throw off sin. Um, that word uh, weight in Greek can also mean something. Uh, a big mass uh that's ponderously large. Uh that's a that's a big uh hindrance that slows us down. So when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, uh we our boot camp is three months. Not like the other branches that kind of just do, you know, every few weeks or whatever. Uh we actually have three full months of boot camp. Uh and it was really tough. And again, remember I don't like to run, but my drill instructor didn't really care that I didn't like to run. <laughs> You're running. So we ran. And when we ran, it wasn't like we just ran in, you know, our tennis shoes and shorts and tank top. We ran with full combat gear. We've, you know, our, our utilities. Um, all, we had to run with a rifle, not a gun, a rifle. Um, combat boots. And these boots were heavy. You know, they felt, I mean, they felt like, you know, I don't know. 10 pounds after like the 10th mile. And, and then we run this backpack. And, and they're not all like the cute little backpacks that you have that you, run, you know, walk to school with. These are like enormous backpacks. I mean, you could fit like a whole person in it. Well, depending on how you cut them up. I mean, it's get them all in there. And it was enormous. And we had to run and run. And tell you, I was in amazing shape. So after boot camp, three months, uh, I had a few weeks of furlough at home before I went off to uh, more training. And, uh, so I just thought, you know, I'm in great shape. I might as well keep that up. So I thought the first day I'm going to go home and run. I mean, you know, just keep it up. That's what we normally did. So I went out and I'm thinking, well, I probably shouldn't be running around in my camouflage utilities. I don't want to scare my neighbors. So I was like, I'm just going to put on shorts and, you know, tennis shoes and, you know, t-shirt or tank top. Um, I stretched a little bit, started running. And can I tell you, I felt like I was flying, flying. Why? because I didn't have all this gear on. I didn't have to carry around my rifle. I didn't have to carry around this 50 pound backpack. But you know what? I think many of us are going through life with a 50 pound backpack on our back and it's our sin. Let it go. Not like the the song, but I mean, you know, cut it off. Just like Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's not talking about self-mutilation, but he's saying, take your sins seriously. It's cancer. And I know some of you guys know people who have had cancer and have passed away. And, or maybe you're a survivor of cancer. You don't want your doctor to play with cancer. You don't want doctor, you know, to just maybe take a little bit out and then sew you back up and come back in another few months. But that's what we think we can do with our sin. Well, I'll just wean off my sin. You don't wean off sin, you cut it off. That's what you, it's it's radical amputation. We don't play with it. So, we need to cut off sin and not allow it to to get in the way and that might mean for you if some of you you men and women are wrestling with sexual thoughts and impurity and lust. Um you know, I often talk, you know, because that's kind of my world and my framework, talking about sexual morality and temptations and lust and and the reality of pornography. I think we have to, if we're going to protect ourselves and our kids, we need to all have filters on our computer. I think many of us, we don't have that. Our kids have have computers and and they're on access on, you know, whatever. And literally, you have no idea what they might be looking at. And put those filters on your computers. The text goes on to say let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us um you know we as, as you run anything as you run a um and and here's just some 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 links to some filters that i suggest the text goes on run the race with endurance um the race that is set before us running doesn't it takes practice running a marathon you don't just wake up one day and say i'm going to run a marathon it has you have to have a plan and I think, unfortunately, you know, when it comes to uh, the reality of our Christian life, it's no different. That's why the biblical writers use running as a metaphor of the Christian life. That just as we go through life and, or, or, you know, get ready for a race, so should we treat our Christian life in that same way. Billy Graham just passed away. Great godly man. Probably one of the, probably the greatest Evangelist of our time he ran the race well he was faithful to god he was faithful to his wife not by accident i don't think he woke up you know a few months ago and you know i don't i don't think he's that clear-headed but in maybe in his little times of lucidity you know think wow how did i you know end up being so faithful to my wife and to god no wasn't an accident he had a plan. he knew his sinful heart. he knew what his mind is capable of. He also saw the other men that were called by God and, and were by used by God at his same time that were falling one by one by one. and he had a high standard. He had a plan. he knew that he liked women. He liked pretty women, and he knew that with all his clout and traveling, there would be women that would be falling over him. So he had a standard. He said, I will not be alone with a women ever. Even, I mean, I hear that when he would go into an elevator, and he would go up an elevator, and just the elevator would stop, and a woman would walk on, he would just politely walk off and take the next elevator or go up the steps. You might think, oh, that's radical. I mean, that, that's just a bit crazy. But you know what? Sometimes it takes crazy measures. pursue holiness holiness perseverance does not come by accident i mean i know what i'm capable of and like for example i just never travel on i have the blessing of traveling with my parents uh when i'm when the three of us were not speaking i always travel with my mother Uh, i'm single so uh my mother has the time to do that you have to think of what works for you What's the plan for you? I know simply uh, people who, in their workplace, instead of having their computer screen turned away from the the door, they will actually turn their desk around. So, so their back will be the door, and then the screen will be... I mean, just little, little things like that. I mean, think of what you have to have a plan. Then the text ends, verse 2, or we're going to end here at verse 2. It says... Uh, Looking to Jesus, or sometimes it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, the reality is that we need to, through all of these struggles, whether you're being persecuted as, as some of these early church were, or whether they're falling away and going back to their sin through all of this, you know what needs to be our main goal, not our struggles, not our sin. I know, I know many young men who are wrestling with pornography and they wake up in the morning and they say, please, God, help me not look at pornography. And that's a good prayer. But then it stops there. That's all they do. Help me to not sin. Our goal as Christians on a daily basis and not, is not to simply not sin. Because when we do that, you know what? We're putting our goal too low. Our goal is not simply to not sin. Our goal is to be like Christ, because I can tell you, you could possibly not, you know, just not sin, and then you could miss out on Christ. But if you get Christ, you will not sin. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to know what is our end goal for our life and for our day. We often don't know what is the right goal, what is the right de- destination. You know, in a marathon, can you imagine if the marathon runners started, they pulled the trigger, and no one knew where's the finish line? Wouldn't that be chaos? They'd be running around, bumping into, where are you going? I, don't, I think it's this way. No, I think it's that way. You know what? But that's how we're living. We don't know what is our destination. In 1952, there's a young lady named Florence Chadwick. She was a swimmer. She ran the English Channel in both directions. She was the first woman to do so. She wanted to break another record and she wanted to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California to the coast of California. 26 miles of swimming. So she trained, she trained and trained for months. She went one morning. She went to uh, the coast and she had to cover herself all in like oil or whatever because, you know, to keep warm. And it was really early, so the water was really cold. She could barely see. She was flanked by two boats, her mom, her coach, trainer, etc. So they went, and they followed her, and she started swimming. And the waters are really choppy there. It's not like smooth water. So she went. She swam, swam, swam. Fifteen hours later, she kept swimming. She didn't make it yet. And it was like evening time, so the fog was starting to roll in. The water was getting more and more choppy. She was swallowing water. Her legs were crapping up. She was doubting herself, and her mom was like, you can do it. You know you can do this. She swam and swam and swam, and finally she gave up. Pulled her into the boat, and she realized she was only one mile away from the shore. So she's like, I'm not giving up. So she trained and trained and trained a few more months. She went back, same place, covered herself in oil, and, and got in these two boats with, uh, with, you know, same people, started going. She swam, 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 15 hours later. Same thing happened. The fog was rolling in, legs cramping up, and, you know, she was doubting herself, choking on water, and her mom's like, you can do this. You know you can do this. You've swam, you've trained, you've done it all. She swam and swam and swam. Finally, she made it to the shore. And when she got to the shore, there was like reporters there, and they all ran up to her, and they asked her this. What was different? The conditions were the same. Temperature, the water, choppiness, all that, same. And what she said was so profound. She said, this time, when I swam, I kept a mental picture of the shoreline in my head. Every stroke that she took, Florence knew her destination. Jesus is our destination. Jesus is the finish line. Jesus is our goal. Fix your eyes on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, how rich your word is to us, how it can encourage us, Lord, in our difficult times. It can encourage us, Lord God, when we're being pushed and persecuted by others. It can encourage us when we're struggling with our own sin. Lord, help us to dig deep the riches of the minds of your word, Lord God, and help us to be hearers and not doers. We love you, God, we praise you, and we ask this in the powerful name of Christ and the people of God said, Amen.